This episode of Gospel Bound is brought to you by Crossway and the new ESV Bible app. The ESV Bible app is designed to help you engage with God's Word on a deeper level, offering elegant, intuitive features to personalize your study, including multiple audio recordings of the full ESV text, audio playlists, customizable background music, daily reading plans, and more. Download the ESV Bible app on your phone or tablet, or visit esv.org to get started. This is Gospel Bound, a podcast from the Gospel Coalition for those searching for resolute hope in an anxious age. Wherever you're listening from, welcome. I'm your host, Colin Hansen, and I'm glad you're here for today's conversation. If you want to sell millions of books, then just tell your readers they can be their own hero. Tell them if they don't have what they want, they need to demand it. Tell them that they can have everything if they work hard enough. The beautiful family, the booming business, the world-changing nonprofit venture. For Ruth Jo Simons, being her own hero doesn't seem all that freeing. It looks exhausting. She has over. She has one overarching message in her new book, When Striving Cease, Replacing the Gospel of Self-Improvement with the Gospel of Life-Transforming Grace, published by Nelson Books. The one thing I want you to know more than anything else, Ruth writes, is that if you are truly in Christ, you can stop trying so hard to be who you already are in Jesus. Simons is an artist, entrepreneur, and speaker. She and her husband, Troy, have six boys. Her previous works include Grace Laced. And Simons goes on to explain, and when striving sees this, we're working so hard to bloom, to bend, to please, that we've neglected the soil from which we flourish. And she concludes her book with a question. What if our striving is really worship of ourselves as God? Simons will will be leading three breakout sessions at the Gospel Coalition's 2022 Women's Conference, June 16 to 18, including one on her new book. Given the prevalence of what she calls the self-improvement gospel, I'm grateful for this work that focuses on the grace of God. Self-acceptance, she reminds us from God's Word, doesn't come from self-love, but from the redemption of Jesus Christ, where God demonstrates His love for us as sinners. That's why she can write this. Self-righteous striving is more hopeless than you want to believe, but grace is more life-transforming than you realize. Ruth joins me on Gospel Bound to discuss how she came to realize that God's grace is enough and to help us do the same. Ruth, thank you for joining me. I'm so glad to be here, Colin. Uh, Ruth, at what point did you fully realize or realize more and more (laughs) that God's grace was enough? Was there a particular event or turning point where that happened? Yeah, you know, I I really look back and I think discipleship in my college years, that really was a time where I went from just believing that Jesus, I needed Jesus to save me from my sins and to pull me out of the destruction of hell. I understood that, but I didn't understand that that meant the end to all my striving, trying to prove my worth and trying to um earn my way to God. Like I just kind of didn't quite put that together until um, when I was in college, my campus um, ministry leader was teaching out of the Sermon on the Mount and was really in Matthew 5 saying, you know, you can 
jump this high with all your religious efforts, but you're never going to jump high enough to meet my true requirements. So you need Jesus. And, you know, that's paraphrasing, but of course I, I just had a, a realization finally that even in my so-called like coming to Christ, I, and maybe I really did understand the gospel at some level, but I was still trying so hard, Colin. I was still trying to like read my Bible to please God, to do the right thing, to just stay away from certain sins so that God would be pleased with me. And um, what a joy it was, it was to finally understand the gospel, understand the law, understand freedom in Christ. And so, yeah, that's, that's the background to this book. Of all things, when Jesus talks about our righteousness needing to surpass that of the Pharisees, that's a, mm-hmm. that's a fascinating way to look at that. Now, now, Ruth, how would you describe uh, the gospel of self-improvement that you're writing this book to be able to help people to, to move past or to, or to counter? Yeah, well, I, I called it the, quote, gospel of self-improvement because the word gospel means, as we know, good news. And I look around and I really think women have, you know, I'm, I'm primarily speaking about my sisters in Christ here, like we have more opportunities than we've ever had before. Women are getting to write books and lead organizations and start nonprofits and do all those wonderful things that you shared about at the start of this broadcast. And um, there are more opportunities than ever before. But I look around at my sisters and I'm saying, seeing that they are more exhausted. We are more exhausted than we've ever been. And I look around and think, I, I really gather that part of the problem is that we are tr- thinking and we're going along with the world's... Um, conversation here that there's somehow good news in the formula of self-improvement, self-help, that there's some way in which we can take the reins and manipulate our lives so that we get the life we want. And sometimes that's prevalent in the church as well. Now, with this path of self-improvement, is it possible for the path of self-improvement to lead to self-denial? Well, I think there are good tools sometimes. I mean, is it in itself bad to set goals to um, have five really proven ways to organize your life? All those are good tools, but if they cause you, if they lead you down a path where you keep looking inward and constantly look at how to um, be the one who fixes your life through your own efforts, that's not going to be self-denial. That's going to be worship of self. And so the way of Christ is for us to say, if I keep looking inward, I will make myself the pinnacle of um, what I must please. And I will, my own comfort, my own happiness, my own worth is the most important thing. But if I look to Christ, then he supplies and sustains all that I need in life. And so then it's really self-denial in the sense of I am not the primary. Christ is the primary. And in him, all those other things fall into place. Ruth, I think about something you said earlier, and I I wonder about putting it into some historical context, because whether it was, you talk about living in a kind of an immigrant context, and that we will arrive, and these opportunities will deliver the promise that we've been seeking. But I think I almost overlay that onto some of the the promises of feminism, of once we get these opportunities, then everything will be okay. Right. We'll be able to overcome the, this, the, these obstacles and we'll in, be able to enjoy this kind of newfound freedom. And that's, you mentioned earlier that the anxiety seems to be overlaying with these opportunities. With the opportunities mm-hmm. actually comes mm-hmm. a more 
harried and frustrating and just overwhelmed, weighed down kind of experience. And I'm wondering, how do you how do you process those two things together? Did did some of those were those some of those promises not true or not fulfilled, or or do you just see that as the human condition in general? Yeah. How do you understand that? Well, I think about how God clearly put on display the the beauty of rest. He set the example for rest, and rest is us whether it's sleeping or turning off our phones, um, that ceasing to hustle, that is us saying, God is God and I'm not. Like he doesn't need me to keep all things afloat. He doesn't need me to call the stars out at night. He doesn't need me to make sure my kids turn out fine, right? He doesn't need me, he's in control. But when we, um, I think we're more anxious than we've ever been because the the message of our day is, um, you can have everything you've ever wanted, but don't slip up, maximize every opportunity, take all the webinars, make sure you read the latest and the greatest, and don't fall behind on the strategies because you can have everything you want as long as you do all the right things and optimize yourself to be the greatest version of yourself. And the truth of the gospel is that apart from Christ, we will never, ever be good enough. I will never be um, have everything my kids need me to be as a mom. Um, my church will never have everything that I need to be as a fully functioning member of my church. Apart from Christ, it's only by the grace of God that I'm enabled to do those things. And so the answer isn't in myself. It's not going to be uh, in myself. But if I think it is, then I'm going to be pretty exhausted running the hamster wheel of self-improvement. I was just interviewing somebody yesterday uh, for a later appearance on, on Gospel Bound, and we were talking about this when it came when it comes to parenting. Yeah, what did this? How, what does this look like for you with with six boys? How does? I mean, because there's no shortage, I'm sure, of opportunities for you to think. I wish I had done that differently. Sure. I wish I had optimized that experience. How does the grace of God give you freedom? with that responsibility yeah. with six boys? So first of all, I think if we want to define terms, you know, striving, striving in grace is different than striving for grace. And that's yeah. the distinction I'm really making here. Um, but when we strive, kind of strive for grace and we're striving um, in our own strength, that's manipulating and anxiously toiling to try to gain or control something so that we could have what we don't quite trust God to give us. And so in a very um, blatant way, some parents can require that they their kids go to Ivy League schools or get straight A's or be um, the best at their sport. That's a real blatant way to be a striving parent, right? To be like, there's that's not acceptable. You must, you must, you must. And you know what, Colin? I'm not that blatant as, I mean, I'm not that obvious as a parent. I kind of I don't do that, but you know what I do and what I can call out and what I've had to ask forgiveness for in my family is when I go around the house on a Saturday morning and yell and get real upset and say, I can't believe this whole house is so messy. What in the world? You know, and I, I deserve you guys taking better care of these things <laughs> or whatever it is that sometimes moms under stress say, there's grace for losing our temper. And we absolutely sometimes just lose it with, with things like that. But the confession to my kids is, hey, boys, what I'm realizing is I'm trying to control and create my happiness by making sure that everybody do, does exactly what I think they should do because I don't trust. I'm not going to the Lord for my 
comfort and assurance, I'm thinking a clean house is going to make me feel better about myself. Obedient children is going to make me feel better about my life. And so I'm trying to anxiously strive to create those, that set of circumstances. And when I see that rear its ugly head, I absolutely um, have to kind of lay that down and confess to my family. So we, that's kind of a regular thing that I have to kind of say, I'm bringing that back guys. I'm, I'm striving here, um, trying to fix my life through manipulating these circumstances. And that's not, that's not as good as leaning on Christ. Ruth, it seems to me that this message of grace and the gospel is so counterintuitive to what people expect. And here's an example. I love this quote. He said this, friend, if you've been given a gospel that downplays holiness and obedience, eliminates God's sovereign ways, and antiquates the law-satisfying work of the cross of Christ, you've been fed another version of the gospel of striving. So, so many people would actually see that as freeing. Oh, I don't have to obey God's law anymore. That's freeing. That's grace. No, it's it's striving to have to try to fulfill God's law. Mm-hmm. So help us understand what you, you mean here when it when you talk about you know, the different kinds of striving. I think you alluded to that earlier, yeah. but uh, I'd love to hear more. Yeah, you know, I I feel like this in this day and age, I feel like I have to clarify a lot more than I ever have to say to see striving isn't just staying in bed tomorrow morning and saying, I don't need to reply to my right. um, emails. My kids can make their own lunch. And who cares if they get D's in school? That doesn't matter. The, 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 the point is that we, it's not that we stop trying. It's that we try out of our identities in Christ already given to us because of grace. We are working to steward all that's been given to us when we know the fullness of our inheritance in Christ, not because we're scared that we're, the difference between striving for grace and striving in grace is that striving for grace is when we say, I won't have belonging, assurance, comfort, or approval from God or anyone else if I don't um, do it perfectly, if I don't hold it all together, if I don't fix the situation, if I don't um, make everyone proud. Like that's when we're like, okay, I need to make sure everybody approves of me, including God. That's striving for grace. Striving in grace is, my goodness, when I think about it, when I read the scriptures, I cannot believe all that's been given to me, what is true, uh, that is truly mine because of Christ. And because of that, I now want to get up in the morning and steward my life in a way that I didn't before, because I know that everything has been given to me as a gift of God's grace. And now not, I won't do things out of repayment. I simply want to steward well because he is so worthy. I, I kind of wonder what would happen to, you know, um, readers and listeners in general, but especially to my sisters in Christ, what would happen if women stopped thinking that the gospel was enough to save them, but that they needed something else to kind of get them to the end of their, their race? What if we were actually to believe that the grace of God not only saves us and rescues us and draws us back to the heart of God, but also keeps us there and gives us the fuel we need for that transformative living that we all want, that we all sometimes think that is found in the latest formula. It's not. It's found in the gospel. And so we see it in Ephesians 2, 8 through 10, right? It's by grace through faith, but we are created for good works. That's what we were created for. It's not that those works are part of it. It's that they are fueled by the gift of grace. 
You talk about in the book how forgiveness motivates. Um, I I think about a a conversation with a friend, and he said that about 10 years ago, he heard a lot of people talking about some similar messages that you're sharing here and that you've shared about in this book, and especially applied to parenting. And the response of it was exactly what you said. The response from some, at least, was, oh, good, now I don't have to care about anything anymore. (laughs) Now I never have to clean up anything. Now we can just eat whatever we want. Now it just doesn't matter what my kids do because grace covers all of that. I remember hearing from a teacher who said, yeah, the way I motivate my child is by never disciplining him. And that's to be able to show God's grace. And so it does seem like we do have to do so much clarifying. We now, do. the Bible, I think, is is beautifully clear, but it just seems as though our sinful hearts are always trying to run toward, well, they're just running away from God. So yeah. just how do you, how have you seen this work out in your own life and in the life of, you, of your friends and, and family? Yeah, well, as you were talking, I was just thinking about Romans and, you know, God's kindness leads us to repentance. Right. And repentance isn't just being sad and sulking. Repentance is an action word, right? It's actually turning. So it's action that says, I no longer want to go this direction. I'm going to go a different direction. And so the reality is kindness, God's kindness, his mercy, his grace leads us to action. And, and so I think, you know, I I keep coming back to the fact that I think you and I would agree that sometimes, um, this generation proves itself biblically illiterate. Mm-hmm. And, and it might be because we've spent so much time going to the internet um, and right. going to simple graphics and memes and quick sound bites as our devotion, as our devotional time or our um, Bible reading for the day. And that leads to a pretty weak and shallow understanding of God's attributes and who he is and what he's done. Because the grace of God's not going to be amazing, Colin, if we spend all our time thinking he's just like Santa and kind of nice and helpful, you know, and that we're really, we're on our own. And so when I think about, uh, you know, let's be honest, I work in an industry that really rewards a lot of striving. And so for me, um, I mean, I just have to like kind of clear the air and say that, you know, I'm like literally thinking, wow, I am an industry. I'm online. I'm on social media. I write books that are measured by book sales. I am literally in an industry that could measure me all day long. And you know what? I wrote a book about it because I have a proclivity towards caring about those things. And so what I have to do every day is really to preach the truth back to myself, which is why I spent some time in this book saying, let's look at Paul's pattern. You know, Paul writes a lot about what who Christ is and what he's done, because I think he just keeps reminding us of what we truly should already know, because no action and no faithful living can come out of us saying no to this, yes to this. We can't just put on and put off and start right there. We have to start with, well, why? Why can I lay this down? Well, because Jesus is better. And unless you know that Jesus is better, you're probably never going to know how to lay your strivings down. And so, um, so yeah, I, I, when I think about how we can respond to this message in a in a world that's constantly measuring, constantly telling us to measure whether we're enough. I would say we the only answer is to find that Jesus is enough and we don't have to be. It's 
One thing I love, Ruth, about your book, we're talking with Ruth Joe Simons about her book, When Striving Cease, Replacing the Gospel of Self-Improvement with the Gospel of Life-Transforming Grace, is that grace is not an abstract concept. It brings us to Christ. Mm-hmm. It comes from God to bring us to God. And so that's, I think that's part of the prevention here of, of how do we not abuse this? How do we not confuse this? How do we not... Uh, abstract. Well, it's it's because it's all about being. It's all about gratefulness from Christ to want to grow to become like Christ. That's a beautiful and, thing in your book. Go ahead. Thank you. And I was just going to say, I when when you were saying that, I was like, yes, Colin. The thing is, we make everything about us, <clears throat> right? And really, grace is all about Christ. It's not. It's about the heart of God. Grace is like the 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 invitation, the way in which we can know the heart and the greatness of God. It's not about us. It's not just this grace is not the thing we slap on a mug so that we have a little ounce of, you know, an extra little dose of um, warm, warm fuzzies in the morning so that we can carry on our day in a better way. So I think we've contorted and made the grace of God somehow trite in our minds because we keep thinking that everything is a tool for us to get better when God's grace was always meant for us to stop trying to make ourselves better and just come to Him instead. I think that's why, Ruth, in our generation, so many of us have been moved by the parable of the two sons, mm-hmm. not just the prodigal son, but the two sons, because as as teachers like Tim Keller, Ed Clowney, others have helped us to see, there are multiple ways to run away from Christ. Absolutely. You can run away through your strivings to perfection, which is a lot of what you write about in here. You can you can write about you, you can you you can run away in your strivings after the the pleasures of this of this world, but the point is both of them are self-centered. Yes. I thought that's and so even, much Right. And and then that second son, the one that we always overlook and we mm-hmm. think is just um the good guy in the story is the son that is just as rebellious right. and just as sinful because he thinks himself good enough to deserve it all. And um, yeah, I mean, when I, Colin, when I wrote about that, I was reading, reading much more than I'd ever understood about that story. And I was just in tears, Colin, and I'm sure you've already mm-hmm. read a lot of that historical context, but to have the imagery and to have the, um, the historical picture of that ceremonial, like breaking of fellowship, the kazaza, the breaking of that pot, and mm-hmm. the kind of like the townspeople saying, "Nope, you don't, you don't get to come in. We're broken here." And for the father to take that shame and to beat the the townspeople to the gate uh-huh. and say, "Nope, you don't get to do the breaking of the pot. I'm going to welcome him home." That just, yeah, that broke me. <laughs> oh, I love that. I love that. Um, now, Ruth, there's many things. It's it's a it's an honest book. It's a vulnerable book, and you describe your struggle with belonging in 2020. I think a lot of us can relate. Tell us a little bit about that. Oh man, I mean, everything from well, it started off simple. It started off with oh, everything's shut down, and I was kind of like striving and feeling like I gotta like put out good material. And then a few months in, and I know this is clear and you know, fresh in our minds, you'll remember, all of a sudden the world turned upside down and n- nobody seemed to be friends anymore. Because unless yeah. you could articulate or think exactly like somebody else, nobody wanted to talk to you anymore. Like, and for mm-hmm. those of us who are content creators, um, 
you and I immediately felt the reality that I wanted to choose my words wisely, think before I speak, consider what I'm doing locally, because really there's no true belonging online. And I got to tell you, it was so, because cancel culture was, was pretty big. I mean, it was kind of still, still, still going on. But last year, um, I was blown away, Colin, with just how quick, how quickly you could, um, be completely misunderstood, canceled, or um, undermined simply because you didn't say something the way that somebody else wanted you to say it. And belonging is one of those things where we keep thinking, if we can just put one, two, and three together exactly the way it needs to be, I'll belong in the situation. And, and, you know, I, I detail in the book about how that started everything from being an immigrant young girl trying to figure out what kind of jeans I was supposed to wear yes. to fit in to what kind of lunches I was supposed to take, which right. um, spoiler alert was not a bologna and white bread sandwich. It was fried <laughs> rice in a yogurt container cup, which um, just made everybody in the lunchroom freak out. They thought it was so disgusting. Now very um, popular. Now, now you would have been so now, popular, but not back then. Now if I brought fried rice, I think your office would be like, Hey Ruth, welcome back. You know, but, um, <laughs> but at the time it was terrible. And so I just saw how much, like what I experienced as a child and what I was like, oh, if I just wear the right clothes, if I just bring the right lunch, I'll have a place at the table. I mean, there's a grown-up version of it. There's a 2020 oh, yeah. version of it. Oh, and yeah. the only way to combat that for all of us who are wrestling with that ache within our own families, within our own communities, within our churches, within our, within our online spaces, if you're wrestling with that feeling of, I don't know how to belong, I'd say, brother or sister, like start first with your belonging in Christ. There's nothing you could ever do or say or get just right to find the perfect formula for belonging on earth. And so we really do have to start with what is ours that's eternal? What bonds is, binds us together with our brothers and sisters in Christ right. when everything is chaotic and not a place of belonging? You know? Yeah. Well, you know, I, I've. Um... I had in mind, and I'm not going to ask you about these, but I had in mind, Ruth, a number of books that I'm sure you had in mind as well that have been very popular in recent years. And I noticed that some of those authors really suffered through what you just described right there of all their strivings, all their success torn down because suddenly they no longer conform. They could not yeah. control of their outcomes. They couldn't control their circumstances. Yeah. They couldn't control other people's perceptions of them. And I think it was a, an effective illustration of the point of your book, which is that the gospel gives us a better, more lasting hope than yeah. what's been offered there. So I'll put those words in my mouth. They don't have to mm. be in yours. But um, I, 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 wonder, um, I wonder what you think of what do you think of self-care? How does hmm. self-care fit into this? That's such a popular concept. It is so popular, and especially among my sisters here. We need, I, I love a good excuse to go to the spa, right? Or to <laughs> get my hair done or get my nails done or whatever shallow thing that I can think of that would be relaxing. I'm all for, I'm all for um, absolutely taking care of yourself. Self-care could be going on a walk, but the difference is, I think, self-care that says, I'm the most important person because without me, um, all things will fall apart. So I, I'm the most important. I must care for my own happiness. If you trace that kind of paradigm to the, its end, then everybody else and everybody else's needs can be sacrificed 
for your pleasure. So that doesn't align with the Bible, the Bible's teaching at all uh, in a die to yourself, lay yourself down for your neighbor. That's, that's just not the same thing. So self-care, if it means caring for yourself because you are stewarding the body God's given you, the temple of the Holy Spirit in your life, if you are caring for yourself because you have need to learn how to rest. Absolutely. That kind of self-care is invaluable because you must steward what God's given you. But the kind of self-care that says, um, make yourself happy because nobody else will, that's not mm. aligned with um, love your neighbor. It really isn't. Loving your neighbor sometimes requires self-sacrifice. Sometimes loving your children means that your needs aren't primary. And um, surprisingly, I think the gospel shows us that it's not totally an either or in that, oh, we need to sacrifice and just be miserable. No, it's that when we lay our lives down, the pleasure of God in our rejoicing in doing the very thing that God's called us to do actually restores our souls and renews us. And it's a supernatural thing that our souls are cared for in Christ even if we're not able to take a vacation or go to Hawaii or get to the spa. And so for those of us who are in long periods of um, just stewardship of whatever it is that maybe you're caring for somebody elderly in your life, right. maybe you have a special needs child and you're like, what is self-care? Yeah. Um, my encouragement to you is it may not look like a luxury and it may not look like um you know, relaxed bliss for days and days, it might mean a soul change where you say, I am cared for in Jesus and therefore I'm going to rest in him and loving my neighbor will be, loving my child, loving my um, parent will actually, you know, me being faithful right where I am is going to allow God to fill me up in ways that don't come from the world and comes from him. Oh, I love that, Ruth. My guest on Gospel Bound has been Ruth Jo Simons. Her book, check it out, When Striving Cease, Replacing the Gospel of Self-Improvement with the Gospel of Life, Transforming Grace, published by Nelson Books. Ruth, I just love this quote. You say this, only the grace of God is enough to bring us home, make us worthy, and keep us in the love of God. I really appreciated that. But before you go, I got a final three for you, all right? So quick, okay. quick answers on these. First question, Ruth, how do you find calm in the storm? Oh, man. I, the first thing I do, I just walk, as I go outside, I turn off my phone and I go outside. I know I've said it before, but I'll say it again. I'm an artist, um, and so I'm inspired easily. But I find that if I just look up at the sunrise or the sunset, or I go out at night when the stars come out, we all have access to that, Colin and be yeah. in awe of God because you had nothing to do with any of those things. Yeah. And so the calm in my storm is always when I realize that God called this day into order without my help. He's mm. still in control. Oh, I love that. Ruth, where do you find good news today? Uh, I actually talk to my kids a lot and yeah. because they're not sitting there watching the news, listening to the, the big analysis. They're talking about how fun it was to discover a new game with their brothers or, um, or just in, in discovering something out in the woods. And so sometimes that's the best news ever is during the day to see <laughs> childlike faith and enjoyment from them. 
Oh, I love that. And Ruth, what's the last great book you've read? Um, well, I'm not totally done with it yet, but Gentle One Lonely. I've been reading uh-huh. Gentle One Lonely. Yeah, so. Oh, that is, um, for, for Gospel Bound listeners, add that one to the tally. Um, that's definitely, I think, the top of the list with my guests in this last year. Um, again, my guest here, Ruth Joe Simons, author of When Striving Cease. Ruth, thanks so much. Really refreshing conversation. God bless you on your ongoing work. Thank you so much for having me. Thank you for listening to today's episode of Gospel Bound. For more information, including past episodes, transcripts, and to sign up for my newsletter, go to tgc.org slash gospelbound. If you like what you've heard, you may also like my new book written with Sarah Zalstra called Gospel Bound, Living with Resolute Hope in an Anxious Age. You can find it wherever books are sold.